I never cease to be amazed at the wonder of the Gospels and their simplicity and the powerful message they carry and that great technique of Jesus of telling stories so that we remember and telling stories about human experience that every single one of us can relate to. Sometimes they need a little bit of interpretation because it is a different age. But just look back on last Sunday and Jesus was in a situation with a lawyer who's trying to justify himself. And the lawyer said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the Bible say? And he quotes the Son of the Lord, to love God with heart, mind, body and soul and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, do that and you shall live. But that's not enough for the lawyer. Who is my neighbour? And so he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. Two walk past on the other side with a great excuse not to get involved. But along comes a Samaritan, the despised, the rejected. I did the comparison last Sunday of those that lived on the reserves of our state 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And he comes and he helps a man in great need. And then the end of the story, Jesus just simply says, go and do likewise. End of story. Why aren't there 500 people in church this morning? Why isn't every church in Austin packed with people and 90% worshipping today, giving thanks to God for all he's done for us on life's journey? Why? Well, Jesus explained a very simple story. In his day, of course, the parable of the sower. And no matter how much love God pours out upon his creation, there'll be different responses. The first, and it's a story of the four soils that all rural communities understand, takes for granted there's a power of evil that tries to destroy the word of God from day one. It is real. It is present in our society as it has been since the dawn of time. And then, of course, there are those that divide the church. The enthusiasts that come in and they've got all the new ideas and want to do this and this is right, that's wrong, and create division. And, of course, that was the um, second soil, the people that never stick and yet they cause so much strife. Then there was that third group of people, which I think is the vast majority of our community today. Life is too good and we're too busy. God has got crowded out of life. People don't stop and think about what life's all about until something goes wrong and then it's God's fault. He may not have been around when things go wrong so often, it is God's fault. Why didn't he do this, that, or something else? We live in a very busy world. And have you ever wondered why God permits but never sends adversity? Why does drought exist at times that we find so hard to come to terms with? God permits adversity 
so that his beloved people may stop and think every now and again what life's all about. And people often will turn and think, what are the true values of life? And then Jesus talked about that fourth soil. Thank God for every one of you, because you belong to that fourth soil. You are those that have heard the word of God. This morning you woke up and you made a choice to lay in your nice snug beds or to come out into the presence of God and a loving congregation. And both God rejoices and we rejoice as a congregation because we are here. A simple story about the soil reveals so much about our own human personalities and our responses. And in this judgmental world, another story that Jesus told, a lawyer once again got him trapped. They've got this woman in the act of adultery, they've dragged her out of the house, they've brought him to her feet, and she's been condemned to be stoned to death. That was the law. Happened then, and in some shallow law places, still happens today. Jesus knew that's what the book of Leviticus said. The lawyer thinks he's got him trapped. And Jesus is just quietly drawing in the sand, and he just simply says, Let the one without sin cast the first stone. Continues drawing in the sand, looks up, and there's no one there. And he says to the woman, Where are your accusers? They've gone, sir. They're no longer here. And he says to her, and this is so important, go your way, your sins are forgiven, don't do it again. He gives that command at the end, her sins are forgiven, change your lifestyle, change what you're doing, get back doing what is right. What I'm really leading up to is today's little gospel, sibling rivalry. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, very different in temperament. And their good friend Jesus is coming for afternoon tea because he was a friend of the family. He, their brother was Lazarus, who had been raised from the tomb three day, after being dead for three days. And he's coming for afternoon tea. And Martha's the one that everything's got to be spot on. The scones have got to be perfect and the sponge cake and the, all the cups and saucers have got to be matched and the tablecloth's got to be neatly ironed because Jesus is coming for afternoon tea. We've got to do it right. But when Jesus comes into the room, Mary, her sister, goes off and talks to him and listens to him. And Martha gets pretty irate and comes, storms out and said, Lord... Tell my sister to help me. This is not fair. And kids say, it's not fair from about the age of three, I think, from my experience. It's not fair. Sibling rivalry. And Jesus simply says, Martha, Martha, you worry about so much. Today, your sister's chosen, made the right choice, the best choice. Why do you say that? 
She got all the time in the world to do the dishes, to make sure the house is right. But Jesus is only there for a brief period. He's come to talk to them, not to eat their scones. And how often do we fall into the trap of being particular about things? We've got to get it just right. We've got to be perfect. What will somebody else say? Or what will our guests think? And we really miss out on the depth of conversation with the person who comes to see us. They haven't come to look at our kitchen table or my desk, which my wife always tells me. <laughs> They've come to have a talk, to share. And this is the basic fundamental of human communication, getting priorities right, making decisions that benefit not, other, not only ourselves, but those that we interact with and are pleasing to God. And the answer always comes in the simplicity of the Gospels. The example that Jesus set, we don't always stop and realise that the word Christian, the I-A-N bit on the end, is a Christ-like person. Not to do, always to do the things that Christ did, but to mirror our simple lives on his simple life. To set his example to those around him. And if we're going to live at peace, enjoy life, not be burdened down about inconsequential things that don't matter anyway, then we've got to look at the example of Jesus. And life takes on a whole new meaning. I mean, you look at this over-competitive world, the evil of the advertisers, and exploiting people all the time. They know how they can play on human nature. And, so, and they win. They win. Because, as I say, they exploit our own weaknesses in, I've got to have everything right and everything perfect and the best of these things and that. It doesn't matter. Probably one of the most profound things, I don't want to introduce anything negative into what I'm saying this morning, one of the most profound statements in all those thousand-odd pages of the Bible is what Job said. Naked I came into the world, naked I shall go out. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's life. If you try to tell somebody they own nothing, I've got the title deeds to my house, I've got all that furniture, I've got a car in the garage. You don't own it, you've had a lend of it. You've had a lend of it for the term of your natural life. The moment you're gone, somebody else starts fighting over it. That's mine. I want that. Mum said that, Dad said that. I mean, how much dissent is there over wills? Sadly. Sadly are the possessions that we leave behind. And so when we come down to the basic fundamentals of it, we're trying to live a life 
that Jesus lived on earth. Who was and is Jesus Christ? Well, I want to do something a little bit different this morning because the life of Christ is being challenged. It's even being questioned by some theologians. Who was and is Jesus Christ? I confidently believe he was the Son of God. He is the exact image of what is spelt out in the Epistle of the Hebrews. But I want you to take your pew sheets, please, and the Colossians reading. Colossians 1, 15 to 29. And I also want you to take these home with you and read them periodically. I'm going to read again slowly the first six or seven verses and I want you to follow it. And if you can say yes or amen to what you've just heard, then Christ is truly who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, then every promise he made is for real. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He presides at the Eucharist today, not me. He is the head of the church and we should always remember that. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that, that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you alienated from God and were enemies of your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body to the death to present and holy, and holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We are God's free and blessed people. We are inheritors of the kingdom of God. We're on a journey with a very definite destination. Why? Because we believe. Because we believe. Because we have enough faith to get out of our beds this morning and to come into this church and worship an invisible God you have never seen, but is manifest 
in the personality of Jesus Christ. And once we acknowledge that, then we see in Jesus Christ how every problem in life can be resolved. In my experience, there's no situation that Jesus Christ did not go through. He knew what pain was, and I know that many of you suffer a lot of pain, and I really get distressed for people in pain. But when we say to Jesus, you know, this is a painful experience, he says, my beloved son, my daughter, I know, I've been there, I experienced when I stretched out my arms on the cross, but hang in. It'll all dissolve when you're in my presence in the kingdom of God. He knows what it is to be rejected by those he loved and there is so much anguish in family life today. Kids that don't always understand us and all sorts of situations and Jesus went through exactly the same anguish. Some understood and some didn't. Some were kind and firming and some were extremely cruel, cruel to him. He is, remember that film, A Man for All Seasons? You've got to be my generation to remember, I think. But it was a magnificent film, A Man for All Seasons. A man for every situation in life that may arise. And that's why, my friends, we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. He understands. He is the intercessory, the intermediary. He brought about the reconciliation. And so let us just pause and thank God that we are here, that we may experience his presence, particularly through the sacrament, when he reassures us of his love, and go back into the world full of confidence that God is God and that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and therefore every promise they made is vindicated. So Father, we give you thanks this morning for all your blessings.